This is episode number 91 with the president and founder at Image Studios franchise, Jason Olson. Welcome to the Path to Freedom podcast. I'm your host, Wes Barefoot, where it's my mission to help aspiring entrepreneurs and existing business owners take control of their lives and create freedom for themselves through business ownership. Each episode, I'll be exploring the strategies and tactics of other successful entrepreneurs that have created freedom in their own lives while sharing what I'm learning along my own path to freedom. I'm glad you're here. Let's drop in. Before we drop into the episode, a quick message from our sponsor, 919 Marketing. I've worked with 919 Marketing for years and there's no one I trust more with my marketing needs in any of our businesses. I've worked with them in our franchise businesses, in my consulting business. I've worked with them on the franchisor side and I love working with 919 because they take the time to listen. They take the time to understand what it is I'm looking to accomplish through my marketing, who I'm trying to reach, and then they help me put a plan together to do just that. I've worked with tons of marketing companies over the years, and too often, it's a one-size-fits-all approach, but not with 919 Marketing. In addition to that, they've developed some amazing technology called 919 Insights, franchising's first and only AI-powered analytics platform. With 919 Insights in place, 919 Marketing can identify the exact topics that matter to your franchise candidates and provide the specific roadmap to help your brand become the highest ranking and most trusted resource when they're searching for answers. So if you're ready to start getting better results from your marketing, and if you want a free demo of 919 Insights, reach out to Graham Chapman at 919-459-8157 or send them an email at gchapman at 919marketing.com to schedule your free demo today. So whether you're a franchisor, a franchisee, or just getting started in your first franchise business, make sure to check out 919 Marketing and tell them West Barefoot sent you. Now, let's drop into the episode. Hey, what's up? Path to Freedom listeners, and thank you for dropping in to another episode here on the Path to Freedom podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jason Olson. Jason is the founder and president of Image Studios, which is a franchise brand I've worked with for several years now. Very cool, very unique concept. Um, very different from what most people initially think of when they think of franchise investments. So in this episode, Jason details the Image Studios franchise opportunity. This is a uh, luxury co-working salon suite studio for beauty professionals. Okay, what does that mean? Think we work, but specifically tailored for beauty professionals. Got website linked in the show notes. You have to check this out to fully appreciate uh, what these guys are doing at Image Studios. Their spaces look phenomenal. They truly are luxurious. But from a business opportunity standpoint, this is a very interesting type of franchise. It's much more, in my opinion, of an investor type model. 
we've talked here on the podcast a lot. You know, when it comes to businesses and particularly franchises, I'm a believer that nothing is truly passive. So that applies here as well. But that being said, the Image Studios business model, once you've got this thing built out, once you've got a location up and running, tenants in the space, this is by far one of the more passive type of franchise opportunities out there, at least that I work with. So really cool opportunity, very similar to real estate investing in terms of what uh, investors are looking for, predictable, consistent cash flow, um, lot to like about this this type of business. So definitely tune in. Jason also shares a lot about his background, how he got to the point uh, of even starting Image Studios. He's a lifelong entrepreneur, been very successful in a number of different industries, but shares the story of how Image Studios was built out of his need to massively pivot during the Great Recession of 2008, 2009, when he was actually in the uh, automobile industry, owning his own car dealership. So uh, made a big pivot, made some big moves. Seems that that's worked out very well for him. So really cool story. A lot of good advice from Jason for any aspiring entrepreneur, any existing entrepreneur that's just looking to grow and take their business to the next level. So don't miss a second of this episode. With that, let's go ahead and drop in with Jason Olson. All right, what's up, Path to Freedom listeners? Thanks so much for dropping into another episode. I'm very excited to be joined today by Jason Olson. Jason is the president and founder of Image Studios, which is one of the franchise brands that, that I've worked with for a few years now. Uh, big fan of the business model. I would say it's, it's definitely different than a lot of the franchise business models that I work with. So uh, Jason, really appreciate you making time to, to join me and dropping in here on the Path to Freedom podcast. Yeah, Wes, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So, hey, for those that, that are probably not familiar with you, give us just kind of a quick introduction and, and a good overview of what Image Studios is. Yeah, again, so my name is Jason Olson. I'm president and founder of Image Studios. Um, I've been a serial entrepreneur since I was 17. My first startup was in high school. Um, back when the internet was just a thing when you'd get AOL discs in the mail oh, yeah. for free internet. Um, so I built <laughs> and uh, developed an e-commerce website that sold aftermarket car parts and accessories as a wow. way to make money to trick out my car. Wow. Um, and it ended up becoming a full-fledged online e-commerce store. And I, my brother was my first hire. My mom was my second hire and built and scaled this for the next seven years sold it in college, um, and then started buying and selling cars through the school newspaper. Oh, really? And eventually then got started in buying and selling cars just from the auction and then ended up starting a car dealership with my brother and my dad. Um, and so we, we grew that, scaled that for many years. Um, at one point had uh, 80 million in revenue and a, almost 100 employees. Wow. It was a huge, huge undertaking you know it's a very complex business lots of moving parts um but the when the recession hit in 08 i mean people stopped buying everything and especially cars and it yeah. got real scary there for a while and i had a one of my best friends came in to buy a car one day and she pulled out like twenty thousand dollars cash out of her purse and she's a hairstylist and i'm like what are you doing like <laughs> 
I'd love to sell you a car, but like, this is, is this the right time to be spending this kind of money? And she's like, I know your business is struggling and it just sucks, but she's like, mine's, mine's really busy. It's not really changed much. And that is, that was the first person I met during the recession who was not in trauma. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. So that got the wheels turning. I had already been thinking, I, you know, how do I get out of retail? How do I Mm -hmm. find a business that isn't this many employees and have business that has less risk and and more freedom? Um, And so she turned me on to the idea of salon suites, which were just kind of new at the time. Um, But so our concept as a salon suite brand is similar to WeWork or Mm -hmm. Regis, like executive office Mm suites. So we take large retail space and then we build out these individual turnkey studios or rooms that are, you know, 150 square feet, maybe 200 square feet. And we lease them back to people in the beauty industry who want to start their own business. And so it allows beauty entrepreneurs a very affordable way to start their own business, to become an entrepreneur with very little risk. Uh, and again, it's very turnkey. So they can sign a lease on a Friday. They can open up for business Monday if they want. We, we try and streamline everything. But most importantly, we also provide a lot of business tools, coaching, and support because people that are in the beauty industry could go to a trade school to get into beauty. Right. Uh, they don't go to typically go to business school. So yeah. you've got this disconnect of like people wanting to be entrepreneurs, but they don't have any training. And you know, business is its own thing. You have to learn what how business functions, regardless of what your craft is. And so definitely had a lot of fun building and uh, scaling this. We started franchising about five years after we started the first one in 2010. Okay. Uh, and so now today we've got 179 locations under development. We've got 30 that are open in 17 states and another 30, 35 that will open this year. So we've been been on a on a roll, been very busy. Yeah, it's it's such a cool concept, and and we'll get into more of the um, the nuts and bolts of what it kind of looks like from the the franchise owner's perspective, because that's that's really what I was getting at. You know, when I alluded earlier to it's it's a very different business model from I, I would say the majority of the franchise concepts that that I work with at least, um, especially in terms of what the owner's role kind of looks like over time. Um, but I mean, just just a really cool story. I mean, literally went from you know, the automobile industry, right? Build a, a, one of the, I would imagine first aftermarket car parts websites or e-commerce sites out there, uh, sold that, got into to selling, buying and selling vehicles, right? So you actually started a, a car dealership and this was like an independent dealership, right? This wasn't like, you know, you were part of a, a larger organization of dealerships or anything like this. This was literally just you, your, your dad and brother kind of building it from the ground up. Yep. Yeah. From scratch. Yeah. Yeah. So it's quite a pivot, uh, you know, getting into the beauty industry, right. Um, you know, going from, from auto industry to, to the beauty industry, but it's a great example of really, you know, looking at, at the environment that, that we were in back in that time, the recession was hitting so many different industries very hard and, and kind of looking around to say, okay, well, what industries are kind of proving to be a little more, recession resistant, but I'm curious, you know, where did, where did the idea for salon suites come about? So you had a friend that was a a hairstylist and kind of learned from her that while everyone else was struggling, her business wasn't struggling so much. Was, was it her idea to, to say, you know, you should look into salon suites or did that come later? 
she actually uh, she moved into one at right after she bought that car. She called me and she she was like, "Hey, you got to come see my new salon." And I was super excited for starting a business in the recession seemed like very brave, right? Yeah. Um, and, but she's like, it's different. It's, it's like, it's my own salon, but it's just me. Well, it turns out she had moved into uh, a local mom and pop, you know, salon suite. It was the first one that had been opened in Utah in 2010. Okay. Um, so I went down to visit her. It was in a weird part of town in a warehouse that wasn't built right. It, it did not feel like you were walking into a space for beauty, but I walked in and I noticed like the place was full. Everyone there was happy and you could feel the energy. Like this is like, this has got some like great opportunity to it. But it, you know, what I saw was it's, it's being executed the wrong way. Yeah. You know, these spaces, I, I wanted to build a space that looked and felt like the beauty industry. It, it, it inspires creativity when you're in it, you know, it's, it enhances what people are doing and it also, and then also providing these business tools, coaching and support. Um, but I think, you know, a large part of, of my motive, I think when she had turned me on to this, it was just like an immediate, I like intuitively, I was like, this is it. This is what I'm doing next. Like I I've been thinking, what do I do to, you know, change gears in what I was doing. And I think it comes down to, I think this is a, a thing a lot of entrepreneurs should spend some time thinking about if they haven't articulated it, but when you're being motivated to make change like this, what is the reason for the motive? Like what's motivating you, right? And I think I look back to what was going on and I wanted control mm. and I wasn't able to have a lot of control in a, in a business that was highly volatile, mm -hmm. um, very risky, very susceptible to market conditions. And again, lots of employees, lots of turnover, lots of inventory, and the challenges of managing all of that. But yeah. what is control, right? Control is really freedom. I, you know, when you have control, you have predictability of outcomes, and that's what I wanted. I wanted more predictability, which really was just I wanted more freedom. Yeah, I wanted to know what to expect from the business. I wanted to be able to predict what next month was like a lot more accurately, and that's why the, when this when this started to come about, it was like there was like no question I was up for many, many nights trying to plan this out from, from that moment on, because when you've got that idea and you want to do something, sometimes it's like pathological. You, you can't stop thinking about it. And, yep. you know, that's, what's, that's fun. It's like you get bit by the bug and it's exciting. Well, that's that. Yeah, exactly. That's when it starts to, to not even feel like work. Right. And, and I would imagine with, the dealership you guys had, I mean, I think you said 80 million in revenue at one point. I mean, that's massive, but I would also, and as you've said, a very complicated business, a lot of moving parts and pieces, a lot of risks. So I would imagine not only from a, a, a time input standpoint for you, I would imagine that it, it took a lot of time for you to stay on top of everything that, that needed to be managed in that. But I would imagine, especially when the recession uh, really kind of hit, it was very, very stressful. And, and I think your point of, you know, hey, if you're an entrepreneur and you're, you're feeling pulled to, to pivot in some way or another to really kind of nail down what is the motivator for that, I think that's a, a great point that, that everyone should take note of. Wes here. You may have noticed there's a franchising theme to this podcast, and that's because franchising has had a massive impact on my life, and it's the very reason I'm walking my own path to freedom. In fact, one of my companies is a franchise consulting company where I work with people to help them understand franchising 
and determine if it might be a good fit for them. And if it is something they want to explore, then I help them navigate the entire investigative process and ultimately find a franchise business that's a great match for them. You know, the fact of the matter is there are thousands and thousands of franchise businesses out there today. And like anything, there are good ones and there are bad ones. Even out of the many, many great franchise companies, not every one of them would necessarily be a good fit for you. You know, buying a franchise is a huge decision and you don't want to wing it. I've helped many people buy franchise businesses over the years and my wife and I have bought and own franchises today and we plan to keep investing in franchise businesses. I love helping people understand this process and help them find a business that's going to be a great fit for them and help them accomplish their goals and ultimately create that freedom in their life that we're all looking for. The best part of all of this is that my services are free to the people I work with. And while I do love to contribute to charities and other great causes, I'm not a nonprofit. I'm compensated by the franchise companies I work with when I introduce them to someone that ends up becoming one of their franchisees. It's very similar to real estate, but with franchises. I have the privilege of working with hundreds and hundreds of the best franchise companies out there across practically every industry. So I can be absolutely confident that when I recommend someone to look at a franchise company, I'm introducing them to a very credible and proven company with a solid business model and great support. So if you think you might be interested in learning more about franchising and seeing if it might be right for you, I'd love to speak with you. Get in touch with me by email at Wes at path2freedom.com, path, the number two, frdm.com. And also check out my website at path2freedom.com, spelled the same way, where I've got a ton of resources, both franchise and non-franchise related, that will help you start down your own path to freedom. And of course, subscribe to and follow the podcast for more great advice about business ownership. And if you know anyone else that might be interested in speaking with me, please share this podcast with them. Thanks for listening to my shameless plug. Now let's drop back into the episode. You said you kind of knew right away this was this was what you wanted to do next. What was it about the the concept that you felt would give you that kind of predictability and, and ultimately give you that freedom? Because again, knowing what I know about your business, I think this is one of the most interesting things about it, looking at it from a potential franchise owner's perspective. Yeah, it's... You know, the a big part of it was you you have a lot of stability in cash flow mm -hmm. and you have a lot of predictability in expenses. So in this business, you know, 95% of the expenses are fixed expenses. Yep. Meaning you, you know, you know what they are every month. You know, your largest expense is your rent payment to the landlord. You've got utilities, you've got maintenance. We, you know, and we know with our with the data we collect and all the stores we have, we kind of know very accurately like as a percentage of revenue, what, what each expense is going to be. So it's really easy to manage expenses because on a fixed basis, you, you know what to expect and then you can keep working on, you know, controlling more expenses and bringing those down. Yep. And on the revenue side, you've got revenue coming in on lease agreements, you know, contract income. So your contract income is also very predictable. I know what I'm going to generate this month based on my lease agreements. I know what's expiring in the next 30, 60, 90. I know who's renewing, who might not like it's, so you really have a forensic, uh, a projectability, I guess, in this business that I've, I've just, in, in the car business, it's, I mean, 
I felt like my job was outside of being a, you know, a counselor with working with that many people was also the CFO. My, my job was really just pouring through financials and spreadsheets constantly and trying to find opportunity and predict what is the market going to do next month. And so we spend all this time in a lot of these industries trying to predict because predictability gives you more control, which is freedom, right? I think every, yeah. everyone inherently wants that, but um, but it's just tough. But so you you kind of get this PhD in operations and finance control from a business like a dealership, and then moving into a business uh, you know like this, which was night and day different. Yeah employed a lot of those things learned to really build a really robust dashboard, um, forecast model, pro forma review, and just, just a lot of great tools that really help us reduce risk um, every time we look at a new site. You know, and I think risk is something interesting too, because I say this a lot with, with our candidates as well. Risk, you know, what is risk really? Risk is what you have left over once you've thought through everything. Mm. So I like that. You can't think through everything, but a good entrepreneur will think through as much as they can, but they also don't become paralyzed as they're going through a risk analysis. You know, you go through a risk analysis and you look at what is my biggest risk? What's my next biggest risk? What's the odds of it happening? You know, you go through the list and some people just have panic attack and you're like, okay, but most of this only happens if you screw up or if That's you right. don't do this or whatever. It's like signing a big lease agreement on a commercial space. Um, you know, I remember before I signed my first lease on our first location, I was, I've never signed a 10 year lease with that much commitment. It's a long guarantee. time, right? If I failed, it was, oh, I mean, it, I was going under, like it was done. And I remember my broker who was a good friend of mine, he goes, you got to realize though, nothing matters in this lease unless you default. And he, and I knew what my break even was. It was very, very low, like as far as occupancy. So I had a lot of, lot of wiggle room. And I'm like, well, if I can't even get it to break even at 50% occupancy, like that's on me. And I was like, I'm going to, this, I have confidence in what I'm doing. That's not going to happen. So it became a moot point. Exactly. But it is a risk, right? But it's also not a risk because so, I'm, I'm betting on myself and I know what I can do, you know? It's a very calculated risk, right? I, I love that perspective. I have this conversation with so many people as they're about to sign a franchise agreement. It can be nerve-wracking, right? Most franchise agreements are a 10-year term. If you really sit down and read a franchise agreement, it's pretty one-sided in favor of the franchisor. No different than a lease agreement, you know, being in favor of the, the landlord. No similar than a mortgage agreement um, being in favor of the bank, right? Mm -hmm. um, what you've got to really understand is, okay, what is the worst-case scenario? And then what is the likelihood of this worst-case scenario playing out? And what can I do to prevent that worst case scenario from playing out. But I love the way mm -hmm. you said it. It's what you have left over. Risk is what you have left over once you've thought through as much as you can. Um, and, and that's and it's important. Interesting. It's interesting too, because you know when you look at you know any contract, so lease agreement, franchise agreement, I mean, these are big contracts, a mortgage agreement that you sign when you get a mortgage. And you know people read through and they start seeing all these like these what ifs and these things. And what, what people need to remember, and I've, I've had to even remind myself when I sign big contracts, a good contract pre-negotiates friction. Yes. So when you read through a contract and you read these clauses, the, the contract's there so that if that happens, we've already agreed both parties what happens. We don't have to argue over it, right? Like, so that's where you also look at a, you know, the, the value of a detailed good contract means we don't have to bicker if there's 
a dispute because it's literally like everything that could happen is laid out with a remedy or what happens if this happens. But that's sometimes right. people read those and they go, gosh, a lot of stuff could happen. It's bad. And you're going, well, no, that's a good contract. It's like, it's, it's just thinking through everything that could go wrong. So we don't have to disagree if it, if yeah, either of us do our job. It's such a good point. I mean, it's, it's essentially ensuring there will be no surprises on the back end, right? Because like you said, every scenario has kind of been thought through and laid out. If this happens, then this is what happens. And everyone's agreed to it ahead of time. It certainly doesn't mean that any of that will happen. Uh, and this is, is, this is maybe kind of a, I love this topic because this, you, you know, as well as I do, this is something that holds so many aspiring entrepreneurs back, right? They get the, the paralysis by over analysis and they, they never actually make moves that in their heart, they probably know they really should. Uh, so, so I, I like spending a couple minutes on this specific topic, but it's kind of a morbid example, but I've used this with people where it's like, look, you know, we'll overanalyze something like signing a contract or, or something like that, yet we'll jump in our car, drive to the <laughs> store, not think twice about it, but how many different scenarios could happen on the way to the store, right? Someone could run a red light and T-bone you and you end up in the hospital or worse. And I mean, that's literally life or death, but we don't overanalyze that you know, or, or most people don't at least, right? You don't grab your keys and then, you know, hang out at the front door for 10 minutes, like, well, should I, or, or <laughs> should I just stay home? You know, it's like, you know, if you kind of put it in perspective, it's, it's, you know, especially if you've really identified, hey, these are the things I can control, or at least have the ability to impact to prevent, you know, yeah. any of these worst case scenarios from playing out. It's a very calculated risk. And, and you don't really level up in life without taking calculated risk. Yeah. And, you know, I think people have to remind themselves too, as an entrepreneur, like you're the winning ticket, right? You're, you're at the end of the day, you're betting on your abilities to perform and achieve results. And so it's that it's, yeah. it's, like, it's like, don't forget that, right? Like, you know, you are, you're here for a reason. You want to do this. And the other big part of this too is, you know, honestly, I, I, I don't think, I don't think anyone has it all figured out up front when they start a business. Never. Um, the key is having confidence. You'll be able to figure things out as you go, because one of the biggest keys that I see to success is, is when people believe they can figure hard things out that, that might come up and they don't even know what those things might be. Right. But it's your ability to solve problems. You know, the people that solve the best problems in life make typically the most money, right? Yep. That's a good entrepreneur solves a lot of good problems. But the thing I love with franchising is it's very lonely as an entrepreneur because in, in, I remember it building that third store, uh, making lots of mistakes, learning lots of stuff, but I couldn't go to anyone and, and just say, am I doing this right? Am I missing right. something? Yep. One mistake in the business design could cost you hundreds of thousands a year in loss or over this course of 10 years in lost revenue. Um, there's just little things that you learn when you're on your own, but it's just the collaboration of a, of a mastermind group really is what it is. These are yep. other entrepreneurs. They're inspired, they're motivated, they're taking risks and we're doing it together is a really, really powerful network effect where you're also not on that lonely island of entrepreneurship where we all want to be entrepreneurs, but I think a lot of us, and I've been through this many times, that when once you are running a business you've started, you don't, you got to hire a consultant to have like a friend to talk to because you can't talk to employees about some of the stuff you're dealing with. Yep. 
Um, you can talk to people in other industries, but it might not be relevant. And, and a consultant is also sometimes they don't really have skin in the game. Like they're just yeah. good advice people. And a lot of times they've not actually done it. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah that's, that's a great point, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it really is. I mean, so, so my wife and I are franchisees with two different brands currently. And that camaraderie, uh, you know, it really is very much like a mastermind, right? And, and this is something you know, I really try to help people understand as I'm working with them through the process of researching franchises, because because most people and, and, you know, understandably so they really want to understand, okay, what's the franchisor going to do to help me? Uh, how are they going to support me? And that's all very important. Franchisors can add a, a tremendous amount of value, especially early on, you know, helping a new franchise owner avoid mistakes and, and really just decreasing that learning curve, right? But uh, having that network of other like-minded people that, you know, in the case of a franchise are operating the same business as you, right? So it's very relatable. They understand the challenges you're going through, the types of decisions that you're facing. And, you know, they've had crappy days, just like you're going to have crappy days, right? And so sometimes literally nothing more than just being able to call up another franchise owner and, and commiserate for a little bit. Uh, it, it is, it, it reminds you that you're not on an Island by yourself and, and you're not alone in it. Um, it, it's a very powerful thing. It's, it's, you know, when you're looking at a franchise, it's hard to put, you know, any sort of a like dollar value on, you know, that, that camaraderie that comes with, especially in a, in a strong franchise system where there really is a great culture amongst the franchise owners, uh, it's hard to put, you know, it's less tangible, I guess, but there's so much benefit that comes with it. Yeah. And, and I would say, you know, with the people listening, there's a lot of franchises out there and there's a lot of great fits for you, your personality, your work style. Uh, spend some time really thinking about the brand that you're buying into. What does that brand mean to you? What's your emotional connection to the brand? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think there, there's, and the nice thing is there are, op, there's lots of options, but yeah. this is where it gets fun. Like you get to find something that aligns and most importantly, how do you align with the franchisor and their team? Mm -hmm. Cause these are people you're working with for a long time. And if it's not a great personality fit, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> like, go, go find a better fit somewhere else. Yeah, right? You'll find a better fit. Like, but, but also know what you want and what you're looking for. And most importantly, if you're leaving a corporate job, uh, you know, if you've been in corporate America, really spend some time thinking about what problem are you trying to solve in your career? Like, what is it that you really want? Is that more money? Is it more time, more freedom? Or is it all the above? But just get really clear about your motives and then see which brands speak to that because this is where it gets really fun for people that are investigating. Yeah, and, it, and that's a, that last point is, is such a good point because I've seen it happen too many times, right? Where, you know, leaving corporate America is a perfect example, right? They're, they're trying to get away from something, right? Usually it's better, you know, work-life balance, better lifestyle, more freedom, more control, but they get into the wrong type of business and they end up with less of what they had in, in corporate America. So it's really, you know, first getting clear on the why, you know, why am I looking to make these types of changes and then finding a, a franchise model that's going to give you the best opportunity to, to go out and build that type of lifestyle that you're looking for. Cause there's so many different options. There's a lot of different business models out there. What your role as the owner is going to look very different in, in different types of franchise businesses. 
Um, so that's all good advice. I mean, I, I could talk to you about this type of stuff for hours and hours, but I know you're busier uh, than, than that. So I want to make sure we have a chance to kind of take a deeper dive on image studios, right? So salon suites, you know, I, I think everyone, you know, listening has kind of gotten the, the general idea of what the business is. Well, let's talk more about, you know, image studios, because there's there's some other franchise concepts in this space. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so and from what I know, you know, you guys are clearly different in, in some pretty key areas, in my opinion. So talk a little bit about that. You know, what separates you from, you know, some of the other uh, salon suite franchises out there? Um, and you know, what type of franchise owners are you guys looking for? Because as the franchisor, you need to make sure it's a good fit as well. Just like someone researching the franchise needs to make sure it's a good fit. Yeah. Yeah. So as a, I think to start off on, I think what makes image different, we've, there's a couple of things that really stand out that we've spent years really honing in on and focusing and the first one is the, the brand and the design of the space, the utility of the space, the function of the space. So our spaces, gorgeous spaces, when you yeah. walk in, it looks like something you'd see in New York, Miami, or LA. Mm-hmm. Um, it just lots of gorgeous European glass and high ceilings. And, you know, these are spaces that are for creatives. They're, they're, places where, uh, you know, hairstylists, nail artists, estheticians, massage therapists will go to start their business. So we want people to be blown away when they walk in and we want to see that wow look on people's faces every time it's the first time they step foot into one of our spaces. And it's really fun because when I go do site visits for our new stores, one of my favorite things to do is just hang out in the lobby and just watch people walk in because most of these people walking in have never been in before because they're clients Uh that are coming for the first time. But they all, you know, they, my goal is when they walk in, they stop for a second, they look around, you know, and they're just like taking it in. And then they, you just hear them like mouth, like, wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and like, like, if we get the wow, we did, we did our job, right? Because the environment is an experience and an experience is emotional. And that's good brands. Good branding is emotional. It, it, it pulls people in. So we want people to have that, 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 that connection and, and uh, resonance when they feel and, and see the brand for the first time. And every time they come in, um, we also look at uh, as a brand, just because we are on the luxury end of salon suites, we tend to attract a lot more diversity of professionals. So most salon suite brands out there are 80, 90% hairstylists at every location mm-hmm. and then 10 or 20% other, like a, like maybe a couple of nail artists and an esthetician or whatever. But we're about 50-50. So 50% okay. of our uh, you know business professionals nationwide are hair, hair professionals. The other half are... Botox professionals, IV therapy people, mm. um, medical aesthetics, um, aesthetics, waxing, eyelash extensions, eyebrow threading, spray tanning, teeth whitening, like barber. Like we have so many diverse things that what what is the value of that is that when someone moves in and opens their business with us, they're also not competing with yeah. another 30 people. They might be competing with a few, yep. but the thing with beauty and especially spaces like this, when clients come in for a cut and color with one person and they see that there is like 10 other things that are non-hair related that they could take advantage of, 
they ask that that stylist, wow, who else is here? What else is offered? Absolutely. Can you introduce me? And so they they create these referral networks and this cross-pollination. And so just our spaces alone strengthen their own businesses because it's 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 thriving and growing everyone's business. That, and that's then, a huge point. It's it's such a differentiator. And and as you're listing out all these different types of clients you have across your locations, I'm thinking wow, I need to make sure my wife never steps foot in one of these places because she <laughs> will spend an absolute fortune. She'd end up probably being a client of 60% of uh, the, the tenants that you have, but that's that's huge. And, and I just wanted to quickly, sorry to cut you off, but I'm going to post a link in the show notes to you guys' website so people can go and actually look at the spaces because I think until people really see it, you know, they're not going to fully appreciate everything you just talked about because it, it really is night and day difference in terms of just the look and feel that, that you guys create in your spaces compared to, to some of the other options out there. So I just wanted to point that out. It's, it's, it's a massive differentiator. And I'll, I'll send you a link as well that would be good to post of a Matterport 3D tour. So then you can actually yeah, like please do. go on a real tour of a real space. Yeah, please do. And, yeah, that would be great. Um, but yeah, and, and the other thing too that's important to note is people also you know hear this and they see these spaces and then they go, gosh, it must be like way more expensive than the other competitors to build. And the funny thing is, you know, we are we're obviously obsessed with good design and what we do, but good design is not always more expensive if yeah. it's well thought out. And we've been very thoughtful about the the way we design. So when it comes to build cost, we're we're right in the middle of the industry when you look at per square foot costs, when everyone assumes we're just the most expensive and we're actually not. Yep. Um, because we, again, good design done well can be affordable quality stuff. And so we've, we've got years of that that we poured into this to keep that those efficiencies there. Well, and that's, um, that's one of the key advantages too, to someone looking at, at this type of model and saying, okay, well, you know, do I need a franchise to do this versus just going and figuring it out myself? I mean, there's there's a hundred reasons we could hit on as to why there's benefits to to a good franchise, but you know, you guys have figured it out, right? I mean, you've got the the playbook for how to get one of these open, have the same result, you know, as what you have across your other locations, and how to do it as cost effectively as possible. Um, that's that's huge. And, and quick follow-up question, because I'm glad you hit on the investment range, because that that is an assumption I'm sure most people would make. Does the the fact that Image Studios is a little bit higher end, you know, more kind of on the luxury side of salon suites, does it allow you to, to charge more for your tenants? Does that have a, a positive impact on the amount of revenue that franchise owners uh, could anticipate being able to generate? Absolutely. Yeah. And that's where, um, you know, the benefit to that is you, you be, you're the market leader, you know, you've got the nicest widget out there um, with image. And so you can command the highest prices, um, which is great because it's, again, there's, there's, you know, our, on average, our image professional has been in the industry 10.2 years. Okay. Um, so these professionals are, you know, they're, they've been doing this a while. They've got a following. They're, they're savvy. They're really talented. Um, they're also at the top of their game. So we're attracting a really high-end clientele, which is also nice because you just, you get a different type of, of professional who's you know, a career professional, who's a rock star hairstylist, who's very serious about their craft, 
Um, and you know, you look in the parking lot of an image studios and it's Range Rovers and Escalades and Suburbans and like the clientele are very affluent that, that come because again, they're coming to someone who's one of the best in the area for what they do. So yeah. they're obviously charging, you know, pretty high premiums for services. So it just, it's a, it's a great, you know, it's a strong, strong community. It's good demographics. And, uh, what I, I would imagine that that leads to more long-term clients or tenants for your franchisees as well. Cause if it's on maybe on the, the lower end or, or entry level type of salon suites, you may be getting a lot of people that are, are just getting started. Right. And, Maybe they end up making it, maybe they don't, but I, I would imagine because you're attracting these higher end tenants and professionals, uh, the the tenure in which they're they're actually staying is is longer as well, which is obviously ideal. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting. So the first store I opened is now will be 12 years, actually, it's 12 years old yesterday. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Very cool. 2010. Um 30, so it was the first one I opened. It has 32 studios. When I do site visits, you know, now to that store, um, about half of the people that are there today were ones that I personally helped move in in 2010. Wow. wow. So there, you know, the turnover reduces as time goes on. So this is also one of the few businesses that that gets better with age. Mm-hmm. Most retail businesses, fitness, food. Um, other things like that, they're usually the most profitable the first two, three, four years because of novelty to the region or trade area that they come into. Mm. But once a once a boutique fitness has been around for four or five years, it's not it's not got that that shine to it that it does when it just hits the market and it's new. So what what happens is owners face margin compression and profit erosion uh, because it gets more competitive. And what we see is kind of the opposite. You you, your, your key people grow roots and then, you know, it's not fun or easy to move your business. So if this, right. if you, if they're getting all their needs met, they usually stay for years and years. And like you see half that location has been there 12 years now. And you can imagine the, you know, the number of hours it takes to manage that location a week or, or around four to five hours max, including like the accounting work and any repairs and maintenance work that might be needed to be scheduled. So it's very, very minimal as time goes on. I will say in the beginning, it's a much, it's much more work than that, but they, they, they season and they get better as time goes on, which is great. Yeah. That's a, that's a huge point because, and I hadn't even really, you know, connected those dots so much, but yeah, I mean, most of your other retail concepts, they're, they're going to have probably a shorter, shelf life in terms of just when they're they're new and and you know exciting uh so that's that's fascinating to kind of understand what what does this look like from from a franchise owner perspective like you know i'm sure you have franchise owners from all different types of backgrounds but kind of give us an idea of not only who are you guys looking for but also like what is your your current uh you know franchise owner um profile, I guess, kind of, kind of look like it's probably not the best way to put that, but what types of people are, are franchisees with you? Yeah. So, uh, it's really interesting because it's, it's really, really similar across the board. So, uh, for, from a, you know, profile perspective, most are 40 to 60 years old. Okay. Um, most, not all, but most are married or have a partner, 
Um, most of them are coming from a corporate background. They've been making good money, but they're at a point in their career, they're either burnout mm-hmm. or they're starting to see that the younger people that are getting hired in the company are probably going to be promoted and they're probably where they're going to be until retirement or until they get a pink slip. And so they're, they're starting to see like, gosh, is this, this is also the time you make those big decisions that are with you for the rest of your career. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of at this pivotal moment going, maybe it's time to make a change. Most of them that, that come from, and a lot of our owners are also entrepreneurs. They may have their own businesses. Some are other franchisees for other, uh, other unrelated like franchise brands as well. Okay. But what's, what's very common is most people need or are seeking out a business that is flexible, gives them, you know, a semi-absentee ability to run it because most of them are keeping their current income. So even though they have a corporate job, they may not love they're going to, they'll keep the job and their partner or spouse will run this. Um, and they, they're planning to open two, three or four of these, maybe even more. And then at that point, they'll plan to then jump ship corporate. So they're kind of like hedging their bets, getting sure. this going, and then they'll jump when it's ready. So they don't see any um, change in income, which is smart. Um, people from all, all backgrounds is in professions. So um you know, there's really, it's mostly, but the people that are attracted to this first and foremost are looking for a lifestyle business. They want a business that can be proud to say they own, you know, they, they don't want to own a fast food joint or, or something that they're not going to want to, you know, maybe bring people to or whatever. And yeah. I'm sure there's plenty of ones that are nice, right? Like, I'm not saying that, but, yeah, yeah. but this is really like a, this is a really beautiful space to own. People really love showing it off. It's, um, it's a sexy concept, like, and, and that's important to a lot of people, right? Like there's plenty of franchises out there that may be great businesses, but they're far from sexy. This is, this has definitely got that, that kind of sexy component for sure. Yeah. And, and I think the, you know, big, big draw that, that people get really excited about is, you know, their role, their major role in what they do in operations is they're working with other entrepreneurs, all of these beauty professionals that are coming over are entrepreneurs, most of them for the first time. So you're working with a really talented, driven group of people that are your, you know, your customers, but entrepreneurs are just, they have a, a, there's an energy to an entrepreneur that's really fun to be around. And again, it's this, like, I think as entrepreneurs, we, we can assess risk. We don't get paralyzed and we still move Mm -hmm. and we have confidence that if we don't know it, we'll figure it out. And and that's just, again, it, it creates a fun culture, a fun community. Um, and what? it's fun because they're coaching and mentoring these people, not as much as managing, you know? Well, exactly. And, and that's, to me, one of the, the most attractive things about this type of business, right? Is that your, your client base, you know, is going to have a, a cap, right? And I mean, you can go on to open multiple locations, like many of your franchise owners have done or are or planning to do. But, you know, it's not like so. So the businesses we own, one of them in particularly, there's no recurring revenue component. You know, we can have a record month one month and then, you know, first day of the next month, we start at zero and we've got to to build our way back up. And, you know, in some cases, clients are pain in the ass. Right. (laughs) Right. You're always going to have those clients that no matter what you do, no matter how far you bend over backwards for them, they're not going to be satisfied. They're, They're looking for things to complain about. 
we pride ourselves on providing a, a phenomenal experience for our clients. Um, but that doesn't mean that it always goes perfectly and there aren't plenty of frustrations that, that can come with that. So I would imagine in this type of business, because you're going to have a limited number of actual clients, right? As the franchise owner, you're going to have these kind of long-term relationships with them. Uh, it's a very different dynamic than in so many other businesses where your clients are really just kind of coming and, and going. Yeah. And, and it's really interesting because again, my, my background in retail in the auto industry is same thing. You, you finish a great month, you make killer money. And then like day one of the next month, it's game. It's you're game starting on. over. Yep. Like nothing. They always say in the car business, you're as good as your last deal because it doesn't matter what you did last week. Cause it, it's, it's never going to happen again. You have to That's recreate. Right. So I always say, you know, this business you have, you have, you know, a, very stable con you know contract income so your revenues are are really stable your expenses are fixed so you have you don't have an opportunity to have a banner weekend or a memorial day sale and make extra money this month so the trade off to that though is in absence of of volatility and potential like spikes in profitability which which is nice but it's in retail you comes at a consequence mm -hmm. the trade off is you know exactly what cash flows will look like next month for the most part, right? You, yep. you might have a little error here and there, but so what is the value of predictable cash flow? When you have cash flow that you know is coming every month and you know what your net profit is, that's actually really rare in any business to be able to predict with, with a lot of accuracy. And the other like wonderful part of this that, that was my big motive too was you don't have inventory. So then the challenge with inventory, when you run any business you own to grow and to, you know, acquire more inventory to grow the business, your net profit gets funneled into buying more inventory That's right. or you bring on more debt. So like a lot of business owners with inventory businesses, myself included, would com I complain like we're growing like crazy, but like, where the hell is all the cash? I know we're making right. money on paper, but I'm always like scrounging to find where I can get more cash because it's a tied up in inventory. It's frozen right. capital. Yep. Can't do anything with it. Like no inventory, minimal employees, uh, you know, no employees. If you're an owner operator, if you're going to scale and you have, you know, one or two employees, that'll be probably the most you have. Um, but so, so touch, touch on that a little bit, because that's something I wanted to, to make sure that that we hit on. So you mentioned if you're an owner operator, um, what what is, if a franchise owner wanted to keep this as passive as possible, you know, for a fully built out uh 100% capacity location what does their team need to look like in terms of employees for one location it's it's just them right there's not enough work to do to justify hiring a full-time person okay. and the tough thing is you may you could hire a part-time person but when you hire part-time you get part-time effort and it's sure. really tough to get like so good. so is there is there someone in the location you know, like at all times it's open or is the franchise owner just kind of, again, once everything's built out and you've got tenants in place and all of that, is it more just kind of almost like a landlord, their own call if, if a tenant needs something and obviously they're, they're overseeing everything. And if there are issues, they're taking care of it, but it's not like you need someone hanging out in the location anytime the doors are open. Right. And typically will will encourage franchisees to designate someone on site just to be eyes and ears if something if there's an emergency if there's a 
you know, plumbing line break or something. So there's usually one professional that's there a lot who is not, not necessarily the on-site manager, but they're the, you know, if something's wrong, they, everyone knows to go tell this person who will, you know, make sure the franchisee knows and, and keep them informed. Um, because a lot of times you, you know, you, the bystander effect where if something goes wrong, say the toilet starts flooding, everyone else thinks everyone else has called. Right. And so no one actually has called anyone. <laughs> right. Cause yeah. everyone goes, Oh, I'm sure someone else did. And there's, yeah. you know, and then nothing so, happens. So it is nice when you have someone boots on the ground to just kind of be eyes and ears, but um, you know, it is just, it's maintaining relationships. You know, the, the, the key in this business is it's not, you know, you have to, and it sounds, it's so simple, but it really doesn't happen a lot in this industry, but it's, it's, you know, operating and acting with integrity and exceeding expectations. And especially as a property manager, that goes a long way. Yeah. Communicating well, taking care of people when they have an issue, communicating when it's resolved. Um, and then we do what's called image love events every month at every location where they're kind of random acts of surprise, like kindness, or uh, like it might be pink mimosas on a Saturday that the franchisee brings everyone while they're busy with clients and the clients can have one. And nice. just like a little thing, it's just like, this is why I love being here. Like it's just, they care or they, they surprise everyone with lunch one day um, or they do, you know, bring in some Einstein bagels and coffee. Sure. But once a month we, we say you, you re, they're required to do an image love event. And we say that with, with, with the big smile only because it's so much fun and it literally gets them so much points with their people because these oh, people, it's just like, they, it's like what landlord does that, right? Like, it's just simple. It doesn't cost a lot. And the effort goes miles in, in how they view that relationship. And we do a lot of things like that, that just yeah. sweeten the deal, you know? Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I, I could see that for sure. Cause look, you know, uh, with any property, there will be issues at some point in time that are unforeseen, right? And uh, those types of things are going to make it very easy for the clients or the tenants to, you know, not cause too big of a stink if, you know, a toilet does overflow or, or something like that. Um, so I, I think that's great. Uh, that makes a lot of sense to me. So, yeah, I mean, just to, to kind of highlight a couple of things you mentioned, because th this is what I like so much about this business model, right? Is it's, you know, in, in the world of franchising, at least the types of franchises I work with, you know, once a, a image studios location is up and running, it's, it's certainly one of the most passive types of franchises, right? As you've talked about and, and explained, it's not going to be entirely passive necessarily for the owner, but really what business is, um, unless we're talking just, you know, investments, but owning a business, in my mind, there's nothing that's entirely passive. The The model you guys have is about as close as, as what I've seen to it. You know, once you've got a location or multiple locations up and running, you've got that predictability, you've got that cash flow. Um, I can't tell you how many people come to me and are like, Wes, I want something with, with predictable recurring revenue you know, you guys check that box in a huge way. Um, little to no employees, no inventory. Um, I mean, there's a lot to like about this business, right? And yeah, you know, you kind of are going to be able to calculate what your ceiling is per location, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, to me, this is your business model provides essentially everything that people love in, in real estate investing, right? Um, it's the cash flow, it's the predictability, you know, you're building an asset, 
Um, one thing I'm curious about, do, do most of your franchisees lease the the space or have you had any franchisees that, that have the ability to come in and actually buy the space outright? Yeah, most, most will lease. Uh, buying is always a great advantage because you obviously have some advantages to appreciation, yeah. depreciation, um, as well as you're not paying retail rents to a landlord, you're wholesale rents basically because your cost of goods for your mortgage is going to be less than what a landlord would charge per square foot. So right. buying is always great, but it does require a lot more cash because you got to put 20, 30% down to buy it. And then the build out is on your dime. Whereas with leasing, you can typically get 20, 30%, sometimes a little more of your total build costs reimbursed by the landlord in tenant improvement allowance. Okay. So you can leverage landlord money when you lease and your asset light um, on that front. So there's, 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 you know, most lease just because they leverage that TI money and that's, you know, two, $300,000 in some cases that sure makes that, good sense. That makes sense. How, and I'm sure it varies, right. But how, how much square footage are we typically, you know, talking for, for one of your locations? On average, uh, 55 to 6,500 square feet, but they can be as small as 4,000 and as large as 12, 13,000. Okay. So you mentioned earlier your first location, I think you said had 32 suites. What's what's the approximate square footage on that? Or, or is that pretty standard for what most of your, your franchise locations are in terms of number of suites? Yeah. How many you can get per square foot is, is pretty standard, but that one is 6,218 okay. square feet actually. Um, so that you get, get 32 out of that 5,500 will get you around 28 to 30. Um, so yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very good. Um, so tell us again, how many franchise locations you have, um, how many are in development and, you know, I'd love to, to hear a little bit just in terms of, you know, what the vision is for the future, you know, going forward for image studios. Yeah, we, so currently we've got 179 territories that are uh, that have been awarded and under development. Um, we've got 30 that are open right now in 17 states, and then we are. This is a big year for us. We're building. There'll be another 30 that open by the end of this year. So we'll double wow. our operating count, and then uh, next year we're on track to open another 40 to 50 um, stores. So that'll put us put us. You know, we'll triple the size of the company in the next two years. And long-term, we look at, you know, five years down the road, um, getting to 500 locations here in the U.S. Um, 10 years down the road, we look at how we get to a thousand locations worldwide. And, and mostly, you know, most of those will be in the U.S., 800, 900 of those in the U.S. But um, salon suites are starting to pop up in, you know, markets across the world, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, Brazil, yep. UK, Sweden, um, that's low priority for us because our main focus is domestic development. But I think when the time's right, we'll begin to reach into some international waters um, where it makes sense. But this really becomes, you know, a global brand over the next 10 years, which gets really exciting on, you know, thinking about how it started and where it's headed is, is so much fun. Yeah. It's, it's so impressive what, what you guys have done. And, and uh, I mean, just the, the growth that you have in front of you with, you know, locations that, that are going to be opening over the course of this year and next year, what's the, what's the typical timeline? And I know it varies, but what's the typical timeline for, you know, someone actually being able to, to find the right location, 
build it out and, and open the doors. Your biggest wild card is site selection, obviously, because yeah. that sometimes you can find something right out of the gate in site selection. Um, lease negotiation is also another slow process that can take sometimes four to six weeks, depending on how fast the landlord is on their responses. But yep. typically three to six months site selection. Okay. And then once, once you're through site selection and lease is executed, um, you immediately get started get started on the build out and the build out uh, can take anywhere from, you know, anywhere 12 to 16 weeks on average. So you're typically open on average about 90 days from the day you break ground. So it happens fast. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So, and from a support standpoint, I assume you guys, you know, have people that are helping a new franchise owner with the site selection, with the lease negotiation, you know, managing the build out um all of that so they're not having to to figure it out on their own um what is yeah. what does it look like from you know so so in that that process in that period of time where a franchisee is working on getting open are you guys helping them uh start to sign up some some clients at that point in time i mean i would assume the goal is you know once you're officially open you've already got some some tenants that have signed leases yeah i mean uh, the goal is, you know, everyone opens at 100% occupancy. That's that's a that's a very high bar, but it happens, uh, and it happens mostly when people follow the process that we we train on. Recruiting starts the day they sign their commercial lease. Okay. So we we have staged recruiting that begins. We do you know virtual tours at first. We do hard hat tours once the framing goes up. Um, you can sign actually a lot of leases during construction. The, the goal, the minimum goal would be to, to open any location at least at break even. So, you know, can you, can you get to 50, 55% occupancy at least as a minimum, but the, but the, 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 you know, the best in class goal that we push everyone towards though is getting to hundred percent by the time you open. So imagine opening your doors in a new business and the first month you're at max profitability um, and if and, and if if it's not the first month you're at 100%, it's usually within three months people are at that 100. So it happens quick when they follow the process. Um, and again, we're we're recruiting really well. We have we have something that they don't have, they can't find anywhere. Right? There's yeah. there's limited supply of what we do. We're you know unique in the market. We have a really you know different design and footprint. So we really play on that and get people excited to know that when image comes into your market, like you got to move quick if you want to be in it because if they fill up fast and once it's full, you might have to wait a year or two to, to get a space in there. If tell someone else turns over, you know? Yeah, no, I love that. It's, it's a beautiful model and, and the support is there and in so many ways, you know, more than, than we have time to, to unpack in this conversation, but um, really cool franchise business, um, as I've mentioned, you know, very different from a lot of the franchise models that are out there. I'm sure you would agree. It's not going to be the right model for everyone, but, um, you know, this, this checks a lot of the boxes for, for, I know people that, that I work with in terms of what they're looking for in a business, uh, definitely a lifestyle business and, um, just a, a really cool opportunity. So Jason, I really appreciate you, you know, making some time to, to share everything with us. If I can keep you for like another minute or two, I, I like to do what I call a lightning round at the end of uh, each episode. It's the same four questions that I ask every guest that uh, that comes on. 
Uh, so we can just kind of do these rapid fire and then I'll let you get back to your day. Um, yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So first question is simply, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? That could be business advice, life advice, best, best piece of advice you've ever received. Uh, easy, always be interested in solving problems more than making money. Mm. You do that, the money will always follow. I love that. That is great advice. Great advice. Um, I'm curious. I, you know, I love doing this podcast, talking to people that are high performers. Um, and so I'm curious, do you have any sort of a morning routine, anything that you try to do every morning to prime yourself for a successful day? Uh, yeah, I do. I, I, you know, I've learned routine is really valuable as the older I get. And I used yeah. to not value routine, but I, Same. I'm up at 7am every day. I, first thing I do is I drink as much water as I can before I start drinking coffee. Yeah. Actually helps a lot to not be dehydrated throughout the day, mm -hmm. but I also try and get 30 minutes of sunshine. I just go outside when I drink coffee. It's, it's a great way to wake your body up. Um, and allow you to get good sleep at the end of the night. Yep. Um, but the another thing I do that I've been doing since I was 21, and I, I I wish I could say I do this every day, but I do it almost every day. Is I I have I write out my goals in a journal. You know, I've got 10 or 15 goals every year that I set, and then I have four or five big lifetime goals, and I just write them over and over. I, I write them all once every day, but there is some serious magic to just it's almost, you just got to brainwash yourself yeah. into things you're working on. And it just primes my brain to be thinking about, I start my day with what is it that I'm focused on? And th these are the big, important things for the year. It, it's everything I've written in that book has, has eventually happened at some point. It's, it's actually scary. So really yeah. powerful stuff. It really is almost like magic. I wish I would have, you know, figured that out at, at the age of 21. It was probably, I'm 35. It was probably five or six years ago that, that I started actually, you know, writing out my goals on a regular basis and, and really just intentionally focusing on them, you know, envisioning them. And, and it is, it's, it's almost like magic. I can't necessarily explain it. I think it's just, you're, you're priming your mind and your subconscious to always be looking for opportunity to help you make progress towards those goals. Um, but that's, yeah, that's huge. Um, it, it really is. So very cool. Um, I would imagine, you know, as successful as you are, uh, you know, you, you've read quite a bit over, uh, over the course of your career. Um, what book are you reading right now? Um, I, there's three right now. I, I, and I don't, uh, I'll finish them like over the next couple of months, but I always end up reading two or three. One yeah. I'm loving. It's my third time reading it. It's the Almanac of Naval Ravikant. Okay. All right. Um, it as an entrepreneur for anyone thinking about starting a business, this is the most chock full book of business wisdom I have ever read. It's amazing. And it's a very obscure, not a very common book, but maybe put, we'll get you the link in the show notes. Yeah, we'll, we'll um, do that. Cause I'm familiar with him, but I, I'm not familiar with the book. Yeah. It's, it, it's just, someone's collected all his, wisdom and made an almanac of it. And it's just, it's mind blowing. Okay. Great. Um, Dune, Frank out. Herbert's Dune, a little bit of sci-fi for some fun. And then uh, one I'm really loving, I'm about halfway through is James Clear's book on atomic habits. Yeah. I've been hearing people talk about this for like 
ever since it came out. And I'm just thinking, it doesn't sound very interesting. Finally, I got a copy and I started reading and go, this is really interesting. <laughs> yeah, I read, I read that a few years ago and like probably shortly after it came out and should probably go back and, and read that one again. But but it was good. Um, it was definitely yeah. good. And uh, I always like reading something, you know, kind of, you know, fiction or, or for entertainment purposes, uh, you know, at the same time reading other other educational things. So I uh, I read Dune before the movie came out. Um, and, uh, and that was a good book. Dune, uh, Dune is good. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, very cool, man. Um, Hey, quickly tell, tell people where they can connect with you, where they can go to learn more about image studios. Um, you know, if they're, they're interested in maybe being a client, uh, interested in learning more about the franchise opportunity, where, where can people get more? Yeah, you know, the best place, our website, it's imagestudios360.com. So imagestudios360.com. Um, you can also link from that site to our franchise-specific website, which is imagestudiosfranchise.com. Okay. Both sites will have great information on the business model, tons of photos and, and these virtual tours, these 3D tours. And then I'd also encourage people to follow, follow us on LinkedIn, you know, just search for Image Studios. Um, I'm also active on LinkedIn too. Would love to connect. Just search for me again, Jason Olson with Image Studios. Um, those would be the easiest ways. Yeah. Very cool. And we'll link all that in, in the show notes as well. Make it easy for people to, to find you. So Jason, man, thanks a lot. Really appreciate this. Love the business that you guys have built and uh, can't wait to watch you guys continue to, uh, to grow and be successful. And uh, thanks for all the people that you're helping. Awesome. Yeah, appreciate it, Wes. It was great to be on today. Awesome. Thanks. That's a wrap. Thanks for joining me today and be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know when a new episode is released. You can also check me out on my website at www.path, the number two, frdm.com and if you want more information about franchising or just want to say hello feel free to contact me at wes at path the number two frdm.com thanks again now go drop in